If my research serves me right, uh, Michael Card uh, published his first album in 1981. A significant year for me, because that was the year that Roseanne and I got married. And so next year, that means that he will be celebrating 30 years of publishing uh, in a way that has ministered to many and most of us, the same year that Roseanne and I will be celebrating our 30th wedding anniversary. You may know Michael Card. Um, he has uh, 23 albums, 19 number one hits, now 19 books and counting. You may know him for songs like El Shaddai that he wrote in 1983 that won him Songwriter of the Year, Song of the Year, and later, uh, in all music uh, genres, was declared one of the top 365 songs of the last century. That's amazing, amazing kind of a feat. However, that's not why we invited him here. We invited him here because of me. You can thank me. And I'll tell you why. Uh, if you were to ask me the question, Randy, where do you go? Where have you gone over these last 29 years when you have been discouraged? Where have you gone when your heart and your mind and your soul needed to be enriched? I would tell you unequivocally, I have gone to the writings and to the music of Michael Card many times. He has spoken to me in profound ways, and frankly, I am jealous for you, and I want to expose to you an individual who has ministered to me in the hope that if you don't know of the music and the writings of Michael Card, you too might find encouragement when you are down. You might find enrichment at just the right time. Michael Card, he drinks from a deep well, and then through the creativity that God has instilled in him, he serves it up to us common folk so that we can draw closer to God and draw closer to each other. But I'm not the only one who he has ministered to. About 29 years, 28 years ago, the same time I was entering into ministry, there was a discouraged missionary in South America, in Brazil, who was about ready to give up on ministry and throw in the towel, and he heard the song, Love Crucified Rose. If you haven't heard that song, you have missed out. Unbelievable song. So moved by that song, he wrote Michael Card and told him that that single song caused him to, to recommit to his ministry, and not only to the ministry uh, of speaking, but all to the ministry of writing, and that gentleman's name is Max Licato. And so both Max and I have found incredible encouragement from this guy, and I know you will be encouraged by him as well. So give up a warm Oak Hills welcome to Michael Card. Wow, what an introduction. I was <laughs> speechless. He made most of that up, though, you know that. But. Yeah, I don't, I don't mind, though. Whenever I come, feel free to pour it on. Um, I'm an affirmation junkie. Uh, and it's a good thing if you know you're an affirmation junkie. It's those people who don't know they are, you know, who keep, uh, like, you'll, you'll give me a compliment, and I'll say, you know, like, you, you know, your guitar really sounded good tonight. I'll say, well, I, I didn't know what I was doing up there. It was out of tune. That's really just a ploy for a, a more compliments. That's how affirmation junkies work, see? 
Good song tonight. Oh, I, I was horrible. Like I sang off, off key. I didn't know what I was doing. Oh, no, really, it was good. So you said, oh, yeah, thanks, yeah, thanks. So, <laughs> but at least I know I'm that way, so that's a good thing. Um, uh, it, it is good to be here. I feel a, a connection to your church. What Randy also didn't say is my wife used to go here uh, years ago. Her father was in the Air Force in San Antonio, and they went to uh, the, the, old, the old building, the other, the other uh, campus. And so I felt a uh, connection for, uh, for a long time to y'all. Um, and so it's good, it good to be here. My job this morning is just to get you excited about the Gospel of Luke. Uh, and as many of you as, uh, are able, I'd love for you to go home and read the Gospel of Luke today. And I'm going to say things just obtusely enough that you're going to say, where did he get that? And you're going to start looking in Luke. So you don't have to agree with me. If you open your Bible, I win. So that's what I'm doing. Uh, so let, let's talk a little bit about Luke and, and one theme in particular. And I just want to give you some stuff to be looking for because uh, I'm, uh, for years John was my favorite gospel. But right now I think it's got to be Luke because I'm getting to know this man. We know an awful lot about Luke. Uh, but what I'd like to do tonight or this morning also is talk about uh, how, we, how we approach the scripture. That we should engage the Bible at the level of the imagination. And I think this is how it works. Uh, a lot of us are, are mind people, right? We got a lot of facts in our heads, and that's good. That's a good thing. I was discipled by a man who had a PhD from Harvard. He spoke 16 languages. He had a lot of stuff in his head, a lot of, lot of uh, facts. But what he taught us is that we should come to the Scriptures fully integrated with our, all of our hearts and all of our minds. And that bridge between the heart and the mind is the imagination. Very powerful part of us. It's, it's the thumbprint of God, I think, one of the wonderful proofs that we were uh, created by him. This, this power that we have to create things. Um, we don't create things out of nothing the way he does, but we can still create things. And, and the call to uh, follow Christ is in, in many ways a call to become creative marvelously creative person, Jesus. Didn't write any songs. Didn't leave any books. Uh, he scribbled in the sand one time that we know of, uh, but we don't even know what it, what it was he scribbled because apparently John doesn't think we need to know, which is sort of irritating to me still, but that's okay. <laughs> we only hear him singing once, and that's before he goes to be arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. I hope he sang more than just that one time. I'm sure he did. But he led this wonderfully creative life, wonderfully integrated person, Jesus, his heart and his mind. And as the Holy Spirit is doing that work in us, he wants us to be uh, uh, not, not fragile, not fragmented men and women anymore. He wants to, to cross that bridge between our heart and our mind so that we can, uh, we can serve him better. And that's what we all want to do, isn't it? I just want to serve him better. I want to be, be a better follower. And if you think about it, the Bible is uh, a lot um, about recapturing your imaginations. That's why the Psalms uh, are such a big part of the Old Testament, songs that reach out to our imaginations. That's why the prophets do the, all the bizarre things they do, you know, shaving off half your beard, laying on one side. They did that to, to capture people's imaginations. Uh, and that's why Jesus speaks in parables. He speaks in parables. Um, 
Because so often people come to Jesus and they've got the answer in their head. And when you're reading through Luke this afternoon, I say, when you're reading through Luke this afternoon, you'll see this. People will come to Jesus and ask a question and they almost always know the answer. He'll ask them, you know, what do you think? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, oh, what does the scripture say? Love God with all your heart and your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. So the guy's got the answer in his head, but he doesn't have it in his heart. And so that's why Jesus tells parables. It takes that intellectual, factual knowledge and puts it in our hearts. And uh, it's, it's a lot, I think, of, of what his ministry was about. So let's talk about Luke with that as a, with that as a, a, a foundation. We know a lot about Luke. Uh, he was a companion of Paul. That's a nice fact. But let's engage with our imaginations. What does it mean that he was a companion of Paul? How did that impact his writing? What would you expect from a man who, who had been a, a companion of Paul? Well, interesting that most of their time together, they're, they're, they're traveling, right? If you're with Paul, you're on the road a lot. And so when Luke writes his gospel, the great central section of Luke from chapters 9 to 19 are the travel narrative. When Luke tells the story of the ministry of Jesus, he tells it as a, as a trip, as a journey from Mount Tabor in the north down the Jordan Valley, hang a right and go up to Jerusalem and, and Jericho. That's the biggest section of Luke. The, the theologians call it the great insertion. The great insertion. Not very imaginative name if you ask me. Um, Luke uh, Luke is, is so kind to the Pharisees. When you're reading this afternoon, you'll find that the, that the Pharisees aren't bad guys in Luke. In fact, Jesus has supper three times, only in the Gospel of Luke, three suppers with Pharisees. The first one goes really well, very congenial. Uh, we'll look at that one this morning. The second one doesn't go so well. He ends up pronouncing the woes. That one didn't go so well. But the third one, again, is very congenial, and Jesus... Uh, uh, is talking back and forth with the Pharisees. So, so in the Gospel of Luke, the Pharisees aren't necessarily bad guys. They are not implicated in the plot to kill Jesus. Now, where do you think Luke got that from? Who is Paul? He's a Pharisee. And Luke wants us to know that the Pharisees aren't all bad guys. In fact, if you read on into Acts, you'll learn that a lot of the leadership of the early church were Pharisees. So they're not bad guys, not necessarily so Luke is a companion of Paul. Luke's a doctor. Uh, Paul refers to him as a doctor. And uh, if you, when you're reading Luke today, you'll find all kinds of medical detail that the other Gospels don't have. Wonderful uh, concern for detail. Lots of medical language in the Gospel of Luke. Very, very well-educated man, Luke. 700 words in the Gospel of Luke aren't found anywhere else in the New Testament. 700 words. Amazing. And he'll, he'll use words uh, like when Zechariah asks for a tablet, right? When he, uh, they, uh, they want to ask, is, is his name going to be John or not? When uh, they're, they're, they're naming John the Baptist. And Zechariah asks for a writing tablet. It's the technical Greek word for a prescription tablet. Very interesting. Lots of details in, in, in the healings uh, of, of, by Jesus that the other Gospels don't tell. But one of the most interesting things... Uh, remember the story, it's in all the synoptics, of the woman who had the uh, endometriosis or whatever, had the issue of bleeding, and she reaches out and she touches the hem of Jesus' garment and she's healed. Well, when Mark tells us that story, Mark, which is largely uh, 
I think of it as the Gospel of Peter because Peter basically tells Mark the story and Mark writes it down. When Mark tells us that story, he says that that woman had spent all that she had on many doctors and instead of getting better, she got worse. Well, Luke tells us that story about the woman, but he leaves that detail out. <laughs> See? He's a doctor. My father was a doctor. I can hear Luke thinking, you know, they, they know that already. They read that in Mark. I don't need to include that detail. See? <laughs> Just leave that out. Very Lucan, that detail. So you, beget to, you begin to get to understand this man. I'm convinced that he was a slave because most slaves in the first century were, or most doctors in the first century were slaves. And you'll see in the Gospel of Luke great concern for marginalized people, for the poor. He tells more widow stories than any of the other Gospels do. In fact, he, he is very concerned just broadly in general uh, with women. Very sensitive to women is, uh, is Luke at a time when uh, the Jewish culture were not so sensitive to women. The rabbi said, better that the law be burned than delivered to a woman. Does that make you feel good, ladies? Wouldn't that be great? Every time a man looks at a woman, the rabbis said, every time a man looks at a woman, he inherits Gehenna. Hmm, really makes you feel good about being a, a woman. And one of the rabbinic mandates was that at every funeral, a woman had to lead the way. You know why, the rabbi said? It's because of women, death came into the world. Oh, really makes you feel good. So Luke tells us the story of the widow of Nain, that wonderful story where Jesus raises her son, her only son. And the fact is, as Jesus is walking into town, the funeral procession is coming out of town, and guess who's in the front of that funeral procession? The mother. And Jesus not simply uh, gives life back to her son, he gives that woman's life back to her when she raises that little boy. So Luke, marvelously sensitive to women. Okay, I love to talk about Luke. He's such an interesting person. All I need to know about Luke, though, I learned in, in 2 Timothy when Paul says of Luke, uh, after everyone had left him, Paul says, uh, only Luke is with me. When everyone else had deserted Paul, before he was executed by a very irresponsible Emperor Nero, Luke stayed until the very end. And that's just about all I need to know about Luke. Very sensitive man. Slave, a doctor, a companion of Paul. Been on the road with Paul a long time. Oh, you know, n another interesting thing, you know, uh, uh, um, Philippians. I mean, the, of, of all Paul's letters, the, the letter of Philippians that is so glowing, and the, you know, you don't want to be from Galatia. You, know, you don't want to be in that church. That's yeah, kind of a not, a, not a good situation. Philippians, so wonderful. You know why Philippians was such a wonderful church? Guess who was giving leadership to the church in Philippi? Luke. Luke. So I love Luke. Luke wants us to realize that Jesus has turned the world upside down that we have no idea the extent to which this world has been turned upside down by this man. We're still learning. All the categories shattered, everything redefined. It's a new world. It's a new world. And when you read Luke today, look for it. Look for it. I want to look at just one story. I'd love to spend, uh, I mean, I can do this for, for days. I love reading the Bible. In fact, I think church sometimes should just be somebody reading the Bible to you. Come in, read Galatians, read you know, Philippians, pray, 
and call it a call it a day. That'd be a nice church service, wouldn't it? Uh, let me just read this to you. Don't look. I'm not going to tell tell you where it is because I don't want you to look it up. Just let me wash your feet with the water of the word. Because your, your translation is inevitably going to be different from mine. Back in the good old King James days, we could read the Bible, you know, together, and we were all kind of on the same page. We don't do that anymore. So just let me read it to you. Let me read it to you, okay? Engage, engage. And this is one of those friendly Pharisaic meals. You'll see that this Pharisee is not a bad guy in this story. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Jesus is laying on his side, leaning on his left elbow. That's how in uh, Hellenist, the Hellenistic world, the Roman world, that's how people ate. Da Vinci got it totally wrong. Last Supper, totally wrong. Jesus is reclining. And that explains why a woman who's standing against the, against the wall, if she cries, her tears are going to fall on his feet. Because Jesus, is, his feet is, are here. Last service, I actually got down and demonstrated. I'm afraid if I did that this morning, I might not be able to get back up. So just imagine me laying on one elbow if you want to. But that explains how she can cry and her tears will, will touch his feet. So Jesus reclined at the table. When a woman who lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair. She was, shouldn't do that. Uh, you, a woman was not allowed to uh, let down her hair in front of anyone but her husband. It was a very uh, huge uh, cultural faux pas. She wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, now when you're reading Luke today, anybody who talks to themselves is a bad guy in Luke. Look for it. Look for it. The, the man who, who tears down his barns to build other barns, he talks to himself during that whole story. The Pharisees are awfully, often talking to themselves, thinking to themselves when they're doing something bad. So look for it. And maybe you should stop talking to yourself so much. So he says to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him, what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Now look at that statement of Simon's. And you'll see that he's got categories. He's got categories. If you're a very religious person, we tend to do this, we religious people. We reduce people to categories so we don't really have to look at them. That's a homeless man. That's a, a single mom. I don't have to deal with her. She's a single mom. That's, um, that's a homosexual label. I don't have to look at them. I don't have to see them as a person because I have a category for them. That's a Democrat. That's a Republican. See? And we do that denominationally. That's a Baptist. That's a whatever. That's a whatever. Let me tell you, in Christ, no Jew, Gentile, male, female, slave or free. No more categories, y'all. 
No more categories. If, if we want to follow Jesus, we treat every person with dignity. We treat, no one is beyond the pale of the gospel. There is no one that Jesus did not die for. And it's a wonderfully freeing thing, isn't it? To, be, to, to let go of your categories. To let go of your categories. But Simon's got his categories. And Jesus is in the prophet category. And the woman is, is in the sinner category. So... That's how he thinks. I know, I'm a recovering Pharisee myself. I know how they think. And listen to Jesus, so congenial. Simon, I have something to tell you. Isn't that friendly? Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, Simon says. He has no idea what he's getting himself into. And here it comes. A story that's going to get the truth from his head to his heart. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender one owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. Right! Ding, ding! He's got the answer in his head. And here, here goes Jesus doing his thing. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, and this is, the, this is the crux of the whole passage, he turned to the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? Because guess what? He had never seen her. He had never seen her. He saw his category, right? She was neatly filed away under sinner. He hadn't seen a wounded person. He hadn't seen a person who'd probably been abused by a number of men. He didn't see a person who was repenting and realized how much she needed Jesus and realized that if anyone was going to forgive her, it was going to be this man, this man who was so marvelously open to everyone. Jesus doesn't see anybody in categories. Do you see this woman? I came into your house, you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not, did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. So she is no longer in the sinner category, for she loved much. But he loves little who has been forgiven little. Our capacity to love is determined by our realization of how much we've been forgiven of. If you haven't been forgiven for much, guess what you can't do much? Love. The more you realize you're a forgiven person, forgiven man or woman, the more you can love. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say to themselves, see, don't do that. Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Shalom. Uh, gives her her life back. Which group do you find yourself in? There's group, this group of people who should have gotten it, like Simon, very religious person, knows his Bible. He should have gotten it, but he didn't get it. 
Or there's this group of people who shouldn't get it, like this sinful woman, or the young son in the story of the prodigal son, or the Samaritan in the story of the good Samaritan, or Zacchaeus, the little kind of weaselly guy who climbed up in the sycamore tree. He shouldn't have got it, but he did get it. Which group do you find yourself in? If you think you're in the group that should get it, we've got it all together, right? We know our Bibles. We got our theology. Our theology is perfect, baby. It is perfect. If you're in that group, I'm here to warn you. I'm here to warn you. But if you're willing to come to Jesus with your confusion, acknowledging that you and I are marginal people at best, poor in spirit, then welcome to the community of his followers who by his grace and by his grace alone have gotten it, have gotten it. And I pray this morning that uh, that passage from Scripture will take uh, or begin to take those things that we know in our heads and start that migration to our hearts so that we can be fully integrated men and women and love the way he loves. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, we come to you this morning as fragile people, as fallen people, as, as, as foolish people. And we, uh, we ask, Lord Jesus, that that process of the recapturing of our imaginations, that your Holy Spirit is, is, at, is at, conforming us to your image, making all things new. Pray that that, that that process would be alive in, in every heart here today, that we would open wide the doors of our hearts and, 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 and let you do your thing, let you do your thing in us this morning, Lord. Pray that our, our eyes would be open to see those people around us, to see the marginalized, the poor. We just want to be like you, and we pray that by your grace, you would go on with that process. In your name, Jesus, we ask with so much confidence because it's you we're asking. In your name we ask it. Amen.